0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, everybody, how are we doing? Everyone glad you're in church? Me too. Well, this past week, um, myself, the rest of the pastoral team, we were in Bimmington, um and we were there for the New York Assemblies of God District. We had our annual conference that was there. And so there's around 330 churches that are part of the Assemblies of God in New York State. And once a year, we have a conference around this time. Um, and as part of that conference, they have an ordination service. And so within the Assemblies of God, the way that they have it set up is that there's um, essentially three stages of um, credentialing their ministers. And so there's the certification stage, then the licensing, and then ordained. And so about 10 years ago, Megan and I, uh, together, we went forward and we applied, and we sort of went to that second step, that licensing, um, and became credentialed as official ministers with the Assemblies of God. But this past year, Megan decided that she wanted to go for that full ordination. And so uh, I wanted to invite the whole church family to celebrate Megan going full ordination last week. It's a a big deal, it's a big accomplishment, a lot of work goes into it. Um, It also means that if you have any questions about how the church relates to tax code, ask Megan. Um, She will know. You could ask Mr. Driscoll, but he wanted me to keep that quiet, all right. So uh, next Sunday is going to be Pentecost. And so we are a Pentecostal, spirit-filled church. And so on Pentecost, we believe it's right, it's appropriate that we pause and that we have a time of teaching and understanding um, around the baptism of the Holy Spirit and consequently the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we um, first read about it in Acts 2 in the Scriptures. And so we're looking forward to doing that next week. Um, it is, of course, Memorial Day weekend. Now, what that does mean is uh, Memorial Day weekend marks the anniversary of when Pastor Randy and Pastor Marianne Cheers went into retirement and it was at that same service um, that Megan and I were installed as lead pastors here at Word of Life. And so I wanted to read as I was reflecting on this, um, thought this was worth sharing with everybody. So this started a number of years ago and I want to read some emails that I swapped with Pastor Randy Cheers. Here's the first one from Randy. Tom, I found your resume on the church staffing website. I would love to, speak, to I would speak with you if you are still seeking a pastoral position. You can contact me at this email address and check out our website at wordoflifeag.org. If you could be so kind as to respond back to me, either way, it would be appreciated. Pastor Randy S. Cheers, senior pastor, and that was sent September 26th. I replied that same day, Hi Randy, so glad you reached out. I would love to talk about the opening you have. I should be available tomorrow afternoon over the phone if that works. Thanks, Tom." I never could have guessed, when we were swapping those emails, all the what happened since then. I was looking for a new church. Megan and I had spent the past 18 months. We were in ministry. We were a part of church leadership, but we knew that something else was coming. We didn't necessarily know what, and so I started to put my resume online, and the dots were connected. Pastor Randy reached out. Those two emails I just read to you, we swapped those. It was shortly after that we made a trip up here, and we very, very quickly fell in love with this church. Through a long series, the the elders and the pastoral team, they did due diligence. There was a long interview process, a lot of meetings, a lot of time, consideration, and prayer went into it. We came up here, we joined the staff as executive pastors, and then there was a vote. And then, two years ago, we were installed as lead pastors. If you were here for that service, you'll remember um, definitely that Pastor Randy tore out of here on a motorcycle. You may also remember my son Elijah stealing the show, but that is another story. But at that that service, Dr. Dwayne Durst, he led the service and Pastor Randy in their uh, retirement, and he also installed us as lead pastors. And as part of that installation, Dr. Dwayne Durst, he presented Pastor Randy with the shepherd staff. And what was said two years ago is that this is a gift, not to Randy and Ann, not to Tom and Megan Wood. It's a gift to Word of Life Church. But the people that are going to take care of it other lead pastors and so Dr. Dwayne, and for certainly for us was a highly emotional moment presented the staff some of you may remember this if you were here two years ago presented it to Randy Marianne and asked them to present it to us so this doesn't belong to me it doesn't belong to Megan my son Moses wants it to belong to him but it does not <laughs> this belongs to this church and it was given to us as a visual reminder and as a strong symbol of the role and responsibility of being a pastor in the church, and I'm glad that we have that, and it does indeed act as a weighty reminder often. So we have started taking time on Memorial Day weekend, but as I mentioned, because of Pentecost, we're gonna start uh, having this today, and we're gonna spend some time, this is perhaps an unusual service, and so if this is your first time here at the church, welcome, I'm delighted you're here. This is somewhat of an unusual service, but we wanted to pause once a year and just sort of think about and reflect and contemplate how things are going, where things are up to on this anniversary weekend. We started taking time on Memorial Day to reflect and to remember. And there's three well-known Bible passages that I want to get to in a moment, but to help explain why these verses are important for us today, I want to read a portion of a book that I'm reading at the moment. And the book is called Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, and this caught my attention this week. I'm just reading it verbatim from the book. Here are two stories. Both stories are completely true. Story 1. When I wrote this book, the country of Syria was being torn apart by what was basically a civil war. Inspired by the Arab Spring that swept across the region, the Syrian people rose against the dictatorship of the Bashar al hazad who took control of the country in 2000 when his father, Hafez al-Hazard, died after 29 years of equally brutal rule. In over 40 years of Assad rule, two generations of Syrian men and women have known nothing else. This is a modern media world, however, and as much of the Syrian government tried to suppress the news of an uprising in neighboring nations, word of these rebellions made it through. But in stark contrast to the peaceful uprising in Tunisia, the Syrian rebellion was met with extreme and intense brutality by the Assad government. World opinion did nothing to affect the Assad regime as it continued to pound a disorganized and ill-equipped rebellion with the full might of the army. United Nations estimates at the time of this book were that over 100,000 Syrians were killed by the Syrian military, including nearly 1,500 in a single chemical attack, a good many of them innocent civilians. Story two, an 18-year-old girl was lying in the middle of the street in San Clement in California. She had been hit by a car driven by a 17-year-old girl. Unconscious, with one of her legs broken and pointing sideways at an unnatural angle, she was in bad shape. Kami Yoda, an army reservist who happened to be driving past, pulled over to see if she could help. Kneeling down beside the injured young woman, Kami took her vitals. The girl wasn't breathing and her pulse was faint at best. Immediately, Kami began CPR and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to try to keep the young woman alive. Not much later, an ambulance arrived and the paramedics took over. They stabilized the young woman and took her to the hospital. A few days after the incident, Cami wondered how the girl was faring. She was able to find the news story online and learned what had happened. She had died. This young woman, her whole life ahead of her, was gone. Which story evoked a stronger feeling? The first one or the second one? A story about tens of thousands of people struck down by their own military as they stood up for something noble does not have the same emotional impact on us as the story of one person does. We mourn the death of one young woman with an empathy that we are seemingly unable to muster for thousands of young women and children, and others struck down as senselessly and even more brutally. This is one of the shortcomings of using numbers to represent people. This is one of the shortcomings of using numbers to represent people. At some point, the numbers lose their connection to the people and become just numbers void of meaning. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to uh, listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he would joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Matthew 9, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And there's two passages we just read from Jesus' ministry. Here he is using the illustration of 99 sheep have stayed right where they're supposed to. One has gone astray. And I'm determined to go and find the one. But similarly, Jesus is ministering. He's doing his work. He's teaching people about the kingdom of God. And he goes, and there's a crowd of people. How big of a crowd? We don't know. But we know that Jesus oftentimes will speak to crowds of thousands. And so here is a crowd of people. And Jesus' love for them is that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Once again, that same analogy. Sheep, lost, no shepherd. John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd to both the one lost sheep and the huge flock without a shepherd. He sacrifices his life for the one and for the crowd. And this idea continues for the churches. They continue Jesus' mission in the book of Acts. There are stories of massive crowds, sometimes thousands of people responding to the good news of Jesus all at once. And there are also many accounts in the book of Acts of individuals crossing paths with a believer. And we can read about just one individual responding, one at a time, to responding to the gospel as the believers are spreading the message. Whether it's one person or a small group or a multitude, it's always about the individual. It's important to remember that the crowd is always just a lot of individuals. We're gonna be looking at some numbers from the past 12 months from our church, and, and I'm begging you, please remember, these numbers represent real people with real stories. The passage from the book I read earlier, it underlines the point that we can hear numbers and it fails to register, but these numbers may include you. They may include someone you love or someone you don't know, but they may be sitting close to you right now. Within these numbers, there may be someone that you've prayed for. There may be someone that you've served alongside on a ministry team. and may be someone that you've been in a small group with, but these numbers that I'm about to share with you, these represent real people. These represent real answers to prayer. To give us somewhat of an overview of some of the good ministry that's been happening in the past year, we have um, Life Path. Life Path is... Um, Essentially, our Next Steps program is kind of an introduction to our church. The hope is that if someone takes our Life Path class, you've heard about it a little bit today, if someone goes through that, then they get a real sense of who we are as a church and what we're about and what matters to us and some of the history of our church and some of our values. And hopefully people get through the other side of the class with a real confidence that, yeah, this is a church for me. This is a place where I can belong and me and my family can grow in our faith. And in the past 12 months, I'm happy to share with you, 78 people have gone through Life Path. 78 people have taken the step to go through and find out more about our church. I want some hooting and hollering for this. We have had 40 people go through water baptism. This is just as amazing, amazing. We've had somebody take a first step for the first time, a next step for the first time. So this could be getting on a team, going through learning to follow Jesus. This could be water baptism, all the different next steps that we talk about. There have been 242 people take some kind of next step. And we've had 22 people be bold enough, brave enough, and courageous enough to start tithing at our church. That's no joke. That's no joke. And this is a number that, um, the way that we run the report, I could have done it a few different ways, and we could have inflated the number just for effect, but I promise I did due diligence to try and make sure that this was as accurately representative as possible. The number of people who are active within our church, they're a part of our groups, they're on our teams, they, um, uh, they, they check their kids in the kids' ministry, they go into youth on Wednesday night, is 780 people. <laughs> I had no idea. But each of these numbers... They represent an individual. They represent a a lost sheep or someone who needed help or someone who needs guidance, someone who's struggling with any number of things. These numbers include people who are new to the church and are looking for some kind of next step. These include people that are finding some way to get connected here at the church. And we use a a church database that connects with our kids' check-in and our small groups and how we schedule our volunteers and all that database works together. It would have been easy to have inflated the numbers. If there was any value in impressing people with numbers, we could have tweaked the reports and come out with a much higher number. But the mission of Word of Life Church is not to have big numbers to boast about. The mission statement that we have at Word of Life is leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. Right in our mission statement, it's about the individuals, not the nameless and faceless crowds. And yet... We want to see as many individuals as possible become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. To help more and more people find the hope and forgiveness and peace in the message of Jesus. I want to suggest that there's three roles and three responsibilities, three gift sets. that are ways that I believe God has hardwired his people that we need to see rise up within our congregation. If we're going to continue to see people added to these numbers. If we're going to continue to see lives truly changed by the gospel. I believe that we need to point, pull, and push. If we're going to continue to see the church advance, we're going to need to point, pull, and push. If we're going to continue furthering the mission, it'll take all of us, not one individual, not even a group of select individuals, but all of us, to keep seeing the mission of God, the advancement of the king- kingdom, to continue through the work and ministry of Word of Life. There is a call for us to point, pull, and push. Some are called to point, Others to pull and others to push. Some may be wired and gifted to be effective of two out of the three. Others will excel in one and shouldn't be distracted with the others. I would be extremely surprised if someone is truly exceptional at all three. So point, pull, and push, what does all that mean? Well, I'll go through it one at a time. First thing, to point, we need evangelists. People to point people to Jesus. Evangelists point people to Jesus. If you do a, a search for the word evangelist in the Bible, you'll find it three times in the New Testament. There's the time where Philip is described as an evangelist, and Paul says an evangelist is a gift to the church to help build up the believers uh, for the work of the ministry, and then Timothy is told to not ignore the gift of evangelism that he has. But there's three Greek words in the New Testament that all have the same root, and it's worth acknowledging that. The first is uh, euangelion. My Greek pronunciation gets better and better. Euangelion. Means good news. Yuangel Idzo means preaching. Yuangel Its. Better and better. It's way easier when you're reading it and it's on a page. Anyway, that means preacher. So, in essence, an evangelist is someone who tells people the good news about Jesus, it's a messenger who tells others the gospel. For us, the word evangelist has come to mean a position or even a title. The word evangelist is often associated with preachers who enjoy, enjoy stadiums filled with people. It's, if someone describes themselves as an evangelist, we might assume a particular style of preaching. One of the sad things I've observed is that often the people who would, um, we would define as evangelists are only happy when they're on stage with a microphone and lots of people are hanging on their every word. There's a place for large-scale evangelism. I know many people who became believers because of large evangelism rallies. But if that's the only expression of evangelism that the church has, if the only time the church tells people the good news of Jesus is in a packed stadium or to crowds in church buildings, we're not reflecting the evangelism, the preaching of the good news of Jesus that is modeled for us in the Bible. How many people do you know and love that would never go to a stadium to listen to a preacher? How many people do you work with or be having a cookout with on July 4th weekend and they are not impressed with a pastor or minister just because they have a best-selling book or a TV show? How many of the people you care about and spend time with aren't going to come to a church service just because a celebrity pastor is going to be speaking? If we outsource the work of evangelism to the professional evangelist, then there are many, many people who will never hear the gospel because they are not interested in listening. But those same people look forward to spending time with you. The same people that scoff at coming to church enjoy working alongside you. Those same people will gladly spend time shooting the breeze with you while the kids play lacrosse. The people who wouldn't give a professional evangelist the time of day give you their full attention. It's time for the evangelists in the church to rise up, not to find a spotlight, but to express the love they have for people, to have a deep compassion for others, to have a sincere concern for those who are separated from God and have a drive to see them come to know the life-changing power of Jesus. First and foremost, evangelists need to have a true love for people. I remember... um, I would say possibly the best evangelist I've ever had the pleasure of ministering alongside was a young lady called Maya, and Megan knows Maya well, and Maya was a youth student in our group, and um, while I was youth pastoring in New Jersey, great things were happening, kids were getting saved, it was awesome, Maya comes in, she wouldn't mind me telling you this, but she was from a broken home, all kinds of hang-ups, and she came in and found Jesus and had her life changed. She then went on to be the best evangelist and is still the best evangelist I know because she loved the people she went to high school with. She loved the other seniors in her high school. And she was committed to showing them and loving them and helping them hear the good news of Jesus. Every week for months, these kids were coming in, not nice squeaky clean church kids, kids that were messed up and they were piling into our church for youth group on a Monday night. And with all their hang-ups and all their drama and all their dysfunction, they were coming and they were meeting Jesus and getting saved. And she was in the thick of all of it. Never is there going to be a statue of her outside the church. Never is there going to be a plaque. No one's having a service honoring the fact. But I'm telling you, she was dragging kids to church. And kids were having their eternities changed because an evangelist took their position and driven and motivated by a love for people made a difference. We typically, you and I, we run from evangelism because we don't wanna be perceived as weirdos or possibly we feel inadequate or often because it simply feels uncomfortable. And the wiring and gifting of evangelism, it isn't necessarily for everyone even though we're all called to be a witness, but if it's for you, if you are wired and you are set apart for evangelism, please don't run from it. I'm praying that God inspires you. And I don't want you to be weird and off-putting, I want you to be effective. I want you to share the timeless message of the gospel to model the love of God and to help people find the peace, joy, hope and love that you have. If this is how God has wired you then there will be an ease and a natural expression and ability to point people to Jesus and in the right time to see people respond. Romans 10 But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear unless the evangelists rise up? How can they hear unless the evangelists, driven, motivated, spurred on by a sincere love for people? And they go, and they make it their business to go and tell them. Second group of people. We need people who are gonna pull. We need gatherers. People who are gonna pull people into community. Gatherers pull people into community. I wonder if social media, online dating, finding a job online, all these different ways that we utilize the internet in modern life, I wonder if it's caused us to skip a step in human interaction. For instance, when you date online, you skip asking someone out and you kind of do it all over a screen. When employment, You skip the initial interview because you can upload a resume, do a personality test, complete a competency test, and read the HR manual all before you meet a human being. Now, this is not all negative. I know many couples who met online, and my own position at Word of Life came via a website, but it's worth observing that we're skipping a step in human interaction. I'm starting to question whether we see this at churches where people want to belong to a community, They want to have a strong friend group at church. They want to walk into a church and see people they know and feel comfortable with. But I wonder if we're seeing a societal shift where there is a desire for belonging and friendship and community, but that initial step of meeting someone brand new, even a whole group of brand new people, which is what happens when you turn up to a church for the first time, I wonder if that's more foreign and uncomfortable than in generations past, Because the world is used to connecting online, are we watching a generation struggle to find their place in a community of faith in person? My friends, the remedy for this is for people who are gatherers to rise up. It's for the gatherers to rise up and pull people into community. Those people who go out of their way to include people in conversations. People who will not only introduce themselves, but also include people. To broaden your circle of friends, to pull up a chair, to introduce people to others. We're a busy, active church. There's always a lot of stuff on our calendar. And it's shown and proven again and again that the number one invitation people will respond to is a personal invite. Not a social media post, not an announcement in church news, but another person including and inviting someone to come with them. Just to sort of make sure that we're all on the same page. I invite you to think and you reflect. When you first came to Word of Life Church, I bet you can remember the name of a handful of people that went out of their way to feel connected to you when you first got here. You remember the first people that you met. That's the impact of people being gatherers and making it their business and making it their mission. We are going to pull you into the community that we have. We are going to be a friendly, welcoming church. Third thing, we need to push. We need to push. We need mentors who are going to push people to get stronger and healthier. We need to point evangelists, point people to Jesus. We need to pull, gatherers need to pull people into community. We need to push because we need mentors who are gonna push people to get stronger and healthier. We need mentors, we need people to act as role models. We need people who are gonna be someone worth imitating someone who asked the ultimate question, if everyone did what I'm doing, if things are things getting better or worse? We need encouragers. We need people who will cheer people on through difficulties. The kind of voices that are spurring people on, especially in the early stages of someone's faith, we need encouraging, patient champions. We also need challengers. There's a time for encouragement and there's a time for a challenge. There's a time for a much needed uppercut sometimes. We also need teachers people who can answer the questions that people have, people who are listening to the world around them and are carefully considering how to reply. We need people who are gonna be friends. This is so basic, I even questioned whether I should say it, but we need to be good at being friends. It sounds so elementary, but too many relationships in the world today are transactional. We need people that are just able to be friends. We need mentors and leaders and disciples. People who will show a biblical model for life, who will demonstrate a Christian worldview, who will help people live with kingdom value. My friends, our church needs evangelists who will point people to Jesus. We need gatherers who will pull people into community. And we need mentors who will push people to get stronger and healthier. We are a church on a mission. We are a church on a mission. We have no desire just to gather here once on a Sunday and hope everyone has a great church service and then goes home. We are on a mission. We want to see people come to know the life-changing news of Jesus. We want people to find peace and hope. We want the broken world to know that there is a remedy, that the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth did everything to make it possible to restore a broken relationship with him. We are a church on a mission. With that in mind... With that in mind, I want to read to you a quote. I read another quote from this book not too long ago. It's from Christopher Wright, who's British, which means you know you can trust him. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church, but that God has a church for his mission. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission God's mission. You know, in uh, in September, we do our big series around mission, vision, and culture, and we present a theme or a particular focus for the year. And Megan and I will spend time praying and talking about what we believe we need to bring to the church. And last September, we brought the idea to the church that our focus is simply beyond Sunday, beyond Sunday. The simple but important idea that the indescribable importance and significance of the message of Jesus is so heavy. That it cannot be contained or minimized to an hour and a half weekly church service. That our faith has to reach beyond Sunday and impact every area of our lives. And there's a passage I want to start with from Ephesians, and it's likely it won't be obvious what this has to do with beyond Sunday, but hopefully I have a chance to expand as we go. But this is a letter from Paul the Apostle, a follower of Jesus who lived and ministered shortly after Jesus' resurrection. And this is the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, starting chapter 1, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. And what is it that Paul prays for this church in Ephesus? Ephesus. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called his holy people who are uh, his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, what is it that Paul prays for the Ephesian church to gain? I'll go through it again. Spiritual wisdom, insight, to grow in their knowledge of God, their hearts will be flooded with light, to understand the confident hope, and to understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Now, if you'll notice with all of those things, I know I'm rattling them off rather quickly, but this all talks about internal transformation. Paul is praying for the people in the church, and he's praying constantly, and he's praying that they have an internal transformation. The outcome of this transformation will be a growing and maturing appreciation of the power of God. This internal, mental, and emotional, and spiritual change will result in a true awe of God. Paul is praying that the church, this group of believers, have a stronger respect for the authority and sovereignty of Jesus. Paul's prayer is that the believers gain spiritual wisdom instead of earthly foolishness. Insight replaces ignorance. That we grow in our knowledge of God instead of God being distant and a stranger. That our hearts be flooded with light instead of being consumed with darkness. That we would understand the confident hope instead of being lost in despair and hopelessness. We would understand the incredible greatness of God's power instead of wondering if he's able to uphold and keep his promises. Paul continues. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now if Jesus... Is indeed as powerful as Paul is declaring, what is Jesus doing with all this power? What is the significance of him being as powerful as he is? Why is it important for the believers that Paul is writing to 2,000 years ago, and what is it they need to get from this, and why is it important for us in central New York in 2023 to get this? Simply put, Jesus' unique and supreme power means he can keep his promises, the power The authority and glory of Jesus is seen and proven in him keeping his promises. The authority and power of God means that he is the only one who can make the promises he's made, and he's absolutely the only one who can keep the promises he's made. The promise that God has made, the promise that is consistent and unraveled through the whole Bible, is the promise of God restoring the broken relationship between himself and humanity. Paul drives home this whole idea in the next verse. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit of work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our spiritual nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now that's bad news. That's a problem. If this was the end of the story... It would be devastating, but thank God almighty, this is not the end of the story. Verse four, but God, come on somebody, but God. Uh But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for any of this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. This is a passage that describes often what we would call the good news or the gospel. This is the greatest news that the world could ever hear, that God is rich in mercy, and we can be saved by grace. This is not a reward or because I did something good or I was good enough, but because He is motivated by a love for us. And now we can live a new life, as Paul describes it, as God's masterpiece. God has kept His promise. My favorite verse in the whole Bible, Pastor Annie shared it last week. By the way, how good was last week? Oh my gosh. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, not after we apologized, not while we cleaned ourselves up. While we're in the middle of our mess, Christ died for us. From our text in Ephesians, Paul is praying that believers grow in their appreciation for the power of God. And that God's unique power means that he's able to keep his promises. And God has promised to fix our biggest problem. The separation that sin has caused. The broken relationship between God and humanity and motivated and driven by love. He has sent his son to pay the price that we couldn't so that you and I could be forgiven and we're able to live in a restored relationship with him. Not because of our ability to fix it up, but because of his grace and his love which was on full display on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're given the chance to repent and find freedom, forgiveness, and peace in him. And my friends, this is not small. It's not something nice. It's not something polite. This is truly life-changing. None of this, the message of Jesus, none of it is reasonably shrunken down to an hour and a half on Sunday morning. A good illustration I heard, I believe it was my dad that taught it to me first, but if you think about a ship, if the ship is sinking, there is not a single part of the boat that's not affected by water. If a ship is truly sinking, there is not a single part of the boat that is not affected by the water. My friends, our faith is an invitation for us to sink in Jesus. Jesus describes the idea of um, yeast, which is a process that his audience would have known very well in the idea of making homemade bread. Jesus also used this illustration, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread, even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. When you make homemade bread, the yeast affects every part of the loaf. Our faith affects every part of our life. There is not a single part of our life that is off limits to our faith. That would be like saying, it's okay to cheat on your spouse as long as you're in a different state. Just because you're in a different state doesn't mean you don't have to be faithful to your spouse. Why would it matter that we're in a different state? It doesn't matter where I go, what I do, who I'm with, I want to be consumed with my faith. Our faith, our pursuit of Jesus, our discipleship, our submission to God, all go far beyond Sunday. There is not a day of the week that is unaffected by our faith. There is no room that we walk into that means it negates our relationship with God. There is no situation that is not included in our commitment to Jesus. And it's worth remembering who it was that Paul was writing to. And let's look back at the first verse that we read from Ephesians today. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Paul is writing to people who have a strong faith in the Lord. That's what we just read. He's writing to a congregation that have a love for God's people. This is a church that means so much to Paul that he writes, I have not stopped thanking God for you. This is a church filled with great people, people who are doing well and fulfilling the mission. We read a moment ago that this is a group of people who have responded to the message of Jesus and embraced the message of grace. They have found life and hope in the promises of God. They are God's masterpiece. They are created anew in Christ so they can do good things he has planned for them. But that isn't how it used to be for these people. Paul continues in verse 11, and he continues talking about uh, things in the past tense and how it used to be. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. All of this, it describes how they used to be. This was the reality that people lived with. You Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made. You lived in this world without God and without hope. These people, earlier on, they were outsiders. This is a group of people who previously were looked down upon by religious people. They were excluded. They were disqualified prior to meeting Jesus. They didn't know the promises of God. This is a people who once upon a time were living without hope. That's how it was. That was the reality for these people. But that's not the end of their story. Ephesians 2.13, but now the present reality is that you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. You were outsiders, but now you are insiders welcomed into the community and the family of faith. You were looked down on by the religious, but now you have found true faith and become spiritually alive because of Jesus. You were excluded and disqualified, but now you are included, born again, transformed and qualified by grace. You didn't know the promises of God, but now you are embracing and experiencing all the promises of God in Christ Jesus. You were living without hope, but now you are living with an eternal hope because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. In 21st century America, it's easy to find outsiders. In our world today, it's easy to find people who have a horror story about a bad church experience. You meet people every day, I meet people every day who know they are disqualified and excluded even if they hide behind pride and arrogance. For many, the suggestion that God has made good promises it seems foreign and not worth listening to. There are too many hopeless, confused, scared, angry, and depressed people. To these people, we have a God-given responsibility to say, you can be united with Christ You don't have to be far away from God. You can be brought near to Him because of the blood of Christ. The weight, the significance, the reality of this, it far exceeds Sunday mornings. There's no way to hold these truths and conclude that this is good for an hour and a half every week. This isn't even daily, it's constant. It's unending, it's without limit. Our faith, our pursuit of Jesus, our discipleship, our submission to God all go far beyond Sunday. I said earlier that our church needs evangelists who will point people to Jesus, gatherers who will pull people into community, mentors who will push people to get stronger and healthier. We need those people to rise up so that those people, like the Ephesians used to be, people who are outsiders, people who are looked down on by the religious, people who are disqualified people who are living distant from the promises of God, people who are living without hope, that they can have their but now moment because the evangelists rise up, because the gatherers rise up, because the mentors rise up. There's a scripture that I would describe as foundational to the Assemblies of God churches and churches all over the world take this very seriously. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, go and make disciples. In the English, it reads like, You are currently stationary and inactive, so you need to get up and go somewhere and start making disciples. That's how it reads in the English. In the Greek, there's a slight emphasis that makes a huge difference. Rather, in the Greek, it reads like, your current day-to-day life causes you to go and you are active and you have a place in the community, so while you are going about your daily activities, make disciples. You are going. Your life will cause you to go and be active and be on the go and doing things and busy. As you are going about your daily life, as you are busy, as you are going, make disciples. The problem is not the going because you and I, we do plenty of going. But we need more believers who embrace their role as a disciple maker. Our world, not just our church, but our world needs evangelists who will point people to Jesus beyond Sunday. Gatherers who will pull people into community beyond Sunday. Mentors who will push people to get stronger and healthier beyond Sunday. With evangelists, the question is often how. How do we evangelize? How can the evangelist share the truth in a way that it's said, heard, and understood, and believed? How do we show the love of God? How do we talk about Jesus in a way that people will listen? How do we present the timeless gospel? Well, for a start, everyone knows that there's a wrong way. Because we all know that if you stood up in the break room at work with a bullhorn and started yelling about Jesus, it's the wrong way. If there's a wrong way, it means there's a right way. And we have a responsibility to carefully and prayerfully discern what the right way is. How do we effectively share and communicate the good news of Jesus? A simple and fervent prayer of, Lord, how can I show my coworkers how much they need the gospel? Lord, how can I show my family your love and goodness? Lord, how can I explain your grace to my neighbor? Lord, how can I lovingly explain the severity of the gospel? Believers praying prayers like that would change everything. Most importantly, let your love for God shape and develop a true love for people. Evangelism cannot be born out of hatred. The message of Jesus is a message of forgiveness. And the forgiveness I desperately need should keep me in check when thinking about how much others need forgiveness. My friends, your school needs evangelists. Your workplace, your family, your friends, your neighborhood need evangelists. We normally reject calls for evangelism like this because we think we have to become weirdos who annoy people. No, you don't. The example for this is the Apostle Paul. He would adapt his preaching to the people who were listening. He amazingly found ways to connect with people and talk to them about Jesus in a way that they found relevant and meaningful. The gospel addresses the deepest human problem, truly a gifted evangelists they seek God and carefully listen about how to help people see the problem and that Jesus is the only solution true evangelists love the people God has brought across their path the good Samaritan he crossed cultural lines Paul the former Pharisee he was mixing with unclean Gentiles the woman at the well she told the whole village who looked down on her all about Jesus a love for people will provoke effective evangelism out of us We also need gatherers. Is this the call to smother people and terrify people with fake friendliness? No, but it's a call to make the first step, to initiate a conversation, to be quick to invite, to make sure people have at least one person who they can remember. We cannot outsource friendliness. We cannot assume others will do the including and accepting and welcoming. We have greeters that are scheduled at the door every Sunday, but how many unscheduled greeters do we have in the lobby? How many unscheduled greeters do we have in small groups? How many unscheduled greeters do we have in kids' ministry? How many gatherers do we have? How many are gonna rise up and take their place as a gatherer? This comes easier and more natural for older people, those of us who didn't grow up introducing ourselves online. So I'm asking, if you're younger than me, please take this personally. I know you want this to be a welcoming and inviting community, so please be welcoming and inviting. For instance, there's ice cream. After service, stick around. Find somebody to include. Find somebody to initiate a conversation. Be bold, be brave. Stick your hand out, shake someone's hand and introduce yourself. Be a gatherer. And we also need mentors. Where are the people who can help push people to be stronger and healthier? The role models, the encouragers, the challenges, the teachers and the friends. This happens in the official formal ways. We have small groups and we have leaders on our ministry teams, but it also happens in the unofficial ways. Relationships get built, respect and trust is earned, and now someone has a deserved voice in someone's life. That voice can be used to challenge or teach, to inform and correct, to comfort and to inspire, with mentors taking their place that I'm believing that people that today have addictions, people that live in chaos, people that have despair and heartache will be stronger and healthier this time next year because God can use his people to do amazing things. I don't know about you, but I have never heard anyone complain that young men have too many role models. I have never heard anyone complain that our young people have too many encouragers and challenges. To disciple people, we need mentors to find their place and start running. To continue leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. We need to point, pull, and push. Point people to Jesus. Pull people into community. Push people to get stronger and healthier. I'm asking for the evangelists, the gatherers, and the mentors to find their lane and get going. And I believe you will see God do amazing things. Jesus is the good shepherd to both the one lost sheep and the huge flock without a shepherd. We need people who appoint, pull, and push, meaning that our church and our world needs evangelists who will point people to Jesus beyond Sunday. We need gatherers who will pull people into community beyond Sunday and mentors who will push people to get stronger and healthier beyond Sunday. Our faith, our pursuit of Jesus, our discipleship, our submission to God all go far beyond Sunday. I have a couple of questions for you. If you want to write these down, make a note, type in your phone, something, maybe you have a chance this week to reflect on this. The First question is, are you growing a beyond Sunday kind of faith? The kind of faith, like the sinking ship, the water affects absolutely everything. Is your faith affecting absolutely everything in your life? Is that yeast that Jesus talked about permeating every part of the dough? Is this a faith that is not able to be contained or confined to a Sunday morning, but it is truly not off limits in any area of your life. Your faith is driving every single aspect of your life. Are you growing a beyond Sunday kind of faith? And secondly, have you considered whether you're an evangelist, gatherer, or mentor? If not, I'm asking you to pray about it. And it's very important that each and every one of us, we understand we have a mission field we have a mission field. Jesus' command, go and make disciples. Life means that we are on the go. We are always coming and going. We are going about our daily business. And as we're going, make disciples. Have a kingdom impact wherever God has placed you. Whichever group of people you're with, whoever you brush shoulders with, make a positive difference. Show people the love of God. Share with people how coming to faith has truly changed your life. Each and every believer has a mission field and it's your day-to-day life. It's wherever life is taking you. You have the chance to bless people that the church staff don't. You have the chance to make a positive difference in a place and with people that others in this room don't. My friend, you have a mission field. Your mission field needs evangelists who appoint people to Jesus beyond Sunday. Gatherers who will pull people into community beyond Sunday. And your mission field needs mentors who will push people to get stronger and healthier beyond Sunday. And before closing, I want to pray. As I was getting ready, I felt it were appropriate to pray. I've spent the morning talking about this need for evangelists and gatherers and mentors. And I want to ask if, you really consider this if you really feel a stirring and a calling please don't get wrapped up in the service and because you feel this weird peer pressure but if you believe that the Lord God Almighty creator of heaven and earth has wired you to be an evangelist would you mind standing so I could pray for you for a moment Lord there are people here that they would say that they are wired and they are built to point people to you Lord give them the words to say Lord give them the wisdom that they need Lord, may they hear your voice and may they learn what this generation, our generation needs so they can, can they can understand, believe the gospel and they can respond and they can find hope and life in you. Lord, use each and every person that is saying, yes, I am an evangelist. Lord, use each and every one of them in unimaginable ways. Lord, I pray that years from now, I will not be pointing to Maya saying, she's the best evangelist I've ever heard. I'd say, move over, Maya. There's a new world champion in upstate New York because the people in this room have been blessed and anointed by you. Those of you, if you're standing, if you wouldn't mind, remain standing. But if you would say, I believe I'm wired and I'm called to be a gatherer. I'm here, I'm here to join people. I'm here to graft people into the community. I'm here to open my arms and bring people in and extend a chair at the table. Would you also stand right now? I'd love to pray for you too. Wonderful, Lord, for those people that are saying that their place, their lane is to gather people, is to pull people into the community. Lord, this is no small thing. Someone that is willing to say, you can come and you can be with me. There is a place for you. Lord, may each and every one of these people, Lord, may they just see an absolute joy every time they see someone that was an outsider become an insider. Someone that was distant become close. In Jesus' name. In the same way, if you'd say, you know, when you were talking about being a mentor, that's me. If you could also stand so I could pray for you also, I'd love to. Lord, you have put wisdom in the heart of these people. You have put words in the hearts of these people the way you've worked in their life, Lord. It is not so they can keep it to themselves. It is so that they can pass on to others. Lord, you have worked. I believe that there are lessons that have been learned in this room, oftentimes painfully, that you are able to use those people to help bring relief to others. Lord, the way that you have used people's lives, the way that you have ministered, the way that you have worked, the ways that you have shown them, the revelation you've given them from the Scriptures, Lord, I believe there are people here that will pass that on to others in Jesus' name. Oh my goodness, Lord, could everyone stand? I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship. Lord, every single believer here has a mission field. I pray that we take that seriously. We take that command to you to go, to go, to go. And as we are going about our daily lives, that we would find it a joy to make disciples. We would find it a thrill of a lifetime to see you move in and through our lives. Lord, may each and every believer here, may everybody... Lord, have a renewed passion for the mission field you've placed them in. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. Come on, everybody, let's go back into the time of worship.